آزادی بیان یعنی لنزیو فری سپیچ We neither make threats of violence nor accept violent intimidation. Susan, you spent many years working on this area. How do you react to that draft principle? As you know, I've um, written and, and spoken quite a lot about this enormous category of hate speech, which I think is sometimes not useful because it's used to mean so many different kinds of speech. And so I appreciate very much that this principle uses a more specific kind of speech, which is threats of violence. Threats of violence must be avoided. I also appreciate that the way this principle is constructed, it goes both ways. We neither make threats nor accept threats. I would suggest, though, that uh, there's another form of speech that brings about violence, which should be captured in these principles. So I can speak in a way that intimidates you directly, but I could also speak to another group of people about how awful or or dangerous or inhuman you and your group of people are and then unfortunately if I repeat it enough and I say it compellingly enough I might lead that group of people to come and attack you and unfortunately that has happened so many times in human experience it's a form of speech that is very powerful that is very, can be very powerful very destructive and that that I have in fact nicknamed dangerous speech in my in work as a human rights scholar, I try to define this narrow category. Can I just ask you on that? What makes, I mean, there's this vast and somewhat ill-defined area called hate speech. Mm-hmm. Not all hate speech is dangerous speech. So what makes hate speech dangerous speech? So it's a wonderful question. What is it that makes hate speech dangerous? And the answer is that it depends entirely on the context. I might say something in one place that is totally innocuous, even though it's an ugly uh, and hateful thing to say. And then somebody else who has, for some reason, got a lot of influence over an audience of people who are particularly vulnerable to that kind of speech, who, f- who are frightened, who feel themselves to be in an insecure situation, might react strongly to the speech. So I've, I've proposed that there are five criteria that we can look at to determine when a particular speech is dangerous in its context in which it was made or disseminated. The first is the speaker. Some speakers, as, as we all know, are much more compelling and therefore if they, if they use intimidating, violent, inciting speech, then that speech is more dangerous when spoken by some people. So the speaker is the first. The second is the audience. Some audiences are more likely to react violently for a whole set of reasons. The content of the, of the speech itself, of course, is important. Some speech is more dangerous than others simply because of what it says. The fourth criterion is the historical and social context. And the fifth is the mode of dissemination, which increasingly, uh, as we think about new media and social media, the mode of dissemination itself can confer power or force on, on speech. So, I mean, the classic example of dangerous speech, which everyone quotes, would be Rwanda. Yes, there was a famous radio station in Rwanda called uh, RTLM, Radio Television Libre des Mille Collines. Um, it was named after the nickname for Rwanda, the Thousand Hills. In any case, this radio station carried inflammatory and violent messages for a period of several years before the Rwandan genocide broke out. Just before the genocide began, and even in the first 
days and weeks of the genocide, very explicit messages were, were broadcast over that station, even calling for certain individual people to be killed. And so it has become, uh, perhaps along with Nazi propaganda, one of the most famous examples of, of inciting speech that led to terrible, or that helped to catalyze mass violence. But on your contextual analysis, if that, exactly that, those words had been spoken by a small, not influential radio station in a rather stable country with a strong rule of law where you didn't have gangs with rifles and machetes, by your definition, it would not, it would be hate speech, but it would not necessarily be dangerous speech. That's exactly right. And is it your view that what should be targeted, combated, criminalized is dangerous speech? Yes, I've insisted on a distinction between this small category of speech that is so dangerous in the specific context <coughs> in which it is made or disseminated that we must try to limit its effect. By the way, that doesn't necessarily mean repressing the speech itself. There may be other ways of limiting the effect of that speech. For example, limiting its dissemination. So we can protect, vigorously protect the right of freedom of expression while still, just to give an example, limiting SMS blasting. It might be possible to prevent you from sending your SMS message calling for massacres to limit you so that you can't send that message to a thousand people at the same time. And that might save some lives. Is SMS texting actually a significant multiplier of It, it has been dangerous used speech? in a number of countries to organize riots. For example, in Kenya before the <coughs> post-election violence of 2007 and 2008. In Kenya, uh, before the post-election violence mm -hmm. of 2007-2008 in which more than a thousand people were killed, inflammatory speech was indeed uh, disseminated very widely via SMS. Mm. So this is just one example of a way in which one might limit the dissemination mm. of dangerous speech without impinging on anybody's freedom of expression. Mm. Mm. Another possibility for limiting the danger of, of inflammatory speech, or what I call dangerous speech, mm. is to work with the audience, to try to teach people how it is that that incitement works on them yeah. individually and collectively, so that they'll be less less likely to respond to it and less likely to become violent as a result. Give us a positive example. I, I think you mentioned the Rwandan, Romeo and Julia. Yes, it's, it's possible to produce, as uh, some enterprising NGOs already have, it's possible to produce, to produce media content that might demonstrate for people how it is that incitement works on uh, them so that they will be inoculated against incitement. This is a technique that is practiced by an NGO called Radio La Benevolencia. I, I personally, I think this is a really interesting distinction and set of work because the way in which hate speech of, is talked about often blurs precisely this distinction between the hateful and the actively dangerous. Yes, we, we might note also that hate speech can cause harm in various different ways. I like to distinguish between what I call the direct pathway and the indirect pathway. For example, I might insult you personally, directly, based on your membership in some group. I might attack you for being English and tell you why I think, I wouldn't, but why I think the English are awful. 
and you might feel personally insulted, even depending on my uh, status as a speaker and my charisma and so forth, and your vulnerability as a listener, you might even feel humiliated or even perhaps frightened. Again, it's unlikely, but it's conceivable. This is the direct pathway. I am delivering hate speech to you yeah. directly. Then there's a second pathway or second modality in which I go and I address another group of people, telling them how awful you and your group are, with a goal of turning them against you. Mm. That's a completely different pathway, and I think that in order to protect freedom of expression vigorously, freedom of speech vigorously, while at the same time limiting the, the hate speech that is most dangerous, it's useful to distinguish between these two.